If you would turn in your uh, pew Bibles to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, part of the Sermon on the Mount, a familiar section of passages. In fact, this is uh, one of the most very familiar verses in Scripture. Judge not, right? But there's a, a whole lot more to it, of course. Um, so, uh, page 965, 965, Matthew 7. So, as we're there, let's ask for God's blessing upon God's Word. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are not left here grappling around on our own, but, oh Lord, you've revealed your Word to us. Even more importantly than revealing to us how we should live, how we should act, how we should behave, Lord, you've revealed to us who we are, who we are in Christ Jesus. And by doing that, Lord, you've revealed who you are. And Lord, we we pray that we would see more of Jesus this morning as we open this word together. And and by seeing you, O Lord, you would draw from us a life that lives for your glory. So Lord, bless the reading of your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we come to Matthew 7, the very word of our God. Judge not that you will not be judged, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw, throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So far the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Well, you know, when we think about judgments, um, I, I think I'm actually a, a really, I'm a pretty good judge. I'm actually quite a very good judge, I think. I mean, I usually think my opinions are right. I usually think that the way I say things is correct. Um, all of those things. I mean, I, I'm usually the one who, who is right, right? And, and I get to adjudicate such amazing cases, such as, um, yeah, who took whose Gatorade out of the refrigerator? Or other cases like, um, who left the wrappers on the couch downstairs? Um, just this last week, I had, a, had, a, had a great case of the missing Yeti. Missing Yeti, yeah. I'm, I, I've got lots of thoughts. I've got lots of things to say, right? Now, here's the problem. And um, we're usually not very good at judging. All of those cases remain unsolved in my household. I have not been able to solve them. I have not been able to come down to exactly what led to what. And, and there's been no confessions. Usually there are not confessions. Um, but there we are. But here we are, right? And so... Here we are to, as those who do not judge well. But Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. What is he saying to us there? You know, what is he saying to us? Why, why is he telling us not to judge one another? We do it all the time, don't we? I mean, you look around and... and, and we're all making judgments in this, this very moment. In fact, this is how we usually operate through life, right? We, we make judgments. Um, 
Some of you may be judging, well, you know, this is a decent preacher, this is a terrible preacher, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I know what goes in your minds because I sit down in the pews as well, right? Um, you've, you've judged the songs that we've sung. Um, you've judged the brass. You know, I love it, by the way. I'm a trumpeter myself, so I'm, I'm a little partial, right? But, um, but we, we, we're, we're, we're all making judgments, positive, negative, and all those kinds of things. Um, in fact, lots of judgments are, are, are necessary, right? We, we need to discern through things. We need to, there, there are things such as right and wrong. And, um, yeah, we, we need to make a judgment. Should I, should I pull out on the road or, or should I wait for a few extra minutes, right, until all the cars go by? And so, so, so judging is good. So, so why does God call us and say, do not judge? Well, I, I think, first of all, as I've already alluded to, we are just not very good at judging. We're not very good. In fact, we're, we're really quite bad at it. And, and the passage this morning gives us some of the reasons why we are not very good at it. And it uses this imagery of, of the, the, the speck in the eye, right? Well, a log, but, but the speck. Now, I'm sure all of you have had this at a time. You get... Um, a little bit of dirt or, or a bit of sawdust in your eye, and even though it's tiny, it causes lots of problems, right? You get an eyelash in there, and, it, and your eyes water up, and you can't see anymore. Kids, you know what that's like, right? You know, you, you, you rub your eye with something, and, and when you get something in there, you just, you just can't see really well. And now, of course, you can't see your own speck. I mean, you have to go to the mirror, and you try to look in the mirror, and you, you try to find that piece of dirt or whatever in there, and most often the times you, you can't even see it's there, but you can certainly feel it. It's miserable, and, and, and it makes your eyes cloudy and, and tear up, and you can't see anymore. But it also makes you cloudy to see other people's specks. You can't see very clearly what's out there. And, and, and so that's one of the reasons why we, we, don't, um, we don't make good judgments. We don't see. Now, what is the speck that they're talking about here? Well, well the speck, of course, is our own sin. Yeah, we, 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 we maybe claim we see the sin in somebody else's eye, but, but we don't see it in our own eyes. Um, but this is really the, this doctrine of total depravity that we have. This is really where it's, it's playing out in, in a very practical way. Jesus gives a great illustration here. And, and because of total depravity, the fact that every bit of us is tainted by sin, that from, from the actions that we do, from the thoughts that we have in our minds, to the very desires we have, even, even the core of our heart, so that everything that we do is, is like a resounding gong or a, a clanging cymbal when it comes down to it. We, we just don't judge correctly. Our sin taints everything that we do. It taints our perspectives. Now, on the other side of it, we, we also just don't have all the information that we need to make a right judgment. You know what that's like? You, you know, with with the, the wrappers on the couch in the basement. You know, I, you ask everybody, who did this? And everybody says, well, not me. It wasn't me. It's always everybody else, right? I don't know how many times I've had that where I've had somebody come into my study and they will, they will lay out the whole issue, right? Um, and it's very serious things. And these are serious things in our lives. And they walk out and I think, boy, a person has a right to be angry. They have, they have been sinned against, and the other party comes in. And man, 
It sounds exactly the same. It's like, man, that person sounds like they've been sinned against, like they've been wronged. And so I'm stuck there scratching my head. And, and, and so we just can't see it. We, we, we get parts of the stories and we get little bits and pieces here and there. And so, so when, we, when we make judgments, we, we just don't get it right. Judge not that you may not be judged. We, we just have a hard time with it. So, so that's why Jesus says, don't judge. Don't judge because you're probably going to get it wrong. E- even though I think that I am a, a pretty good judge of, of, of things, right? Boy, I get it wrong too often. I get it wrong way too often. I either have not listened well enough, I haven't watched well enough, I haven't studied well enough, I haven't you know, put the pieces and parts well enough together. And I'd imagine you'd find yourself in that case too where you've made plenty of misjudgments that this whole case that we're not very good judges, that, that, that holds true. Now, instead, Jesus offers to us a prescription here, a, a, a remedy, right, to, to those who are such poor judges. And, and what he says in this takes us to verse 5 here in Matthew 7. He says, he says, first, take the log out of your own eye. So that's, that's the first thing. I mean, that's the first prescription he gives. Take the log out of your own eye. Now, now this can get a, a bit tricky, but really what he's saying to you is he's saying, judge yourself. So judge not because you're terrible judges, but, but then we're called to judge, which makes us a peculiar passage, right? Um, don't judge, but judge yourself. Okay, well, I guess maybe I can do that. I can judge myself. But it does get a bit tricky, so we've got to make sure we're clear about what we're talking about here. Because how, how do you take a log out of your own eye? I mean, how, how do you do that? I mean, you know, we, as I said, we can't remove the specks from our own eyes. I mean, even if you saw the speck in there, I'm one that cannot touch my eye. Now, my wife has contacts. She can just pop them in there, and she can, like, touch her eyes. Like, no way, not at all. I mean, I, I can't get it off. But so how are we supposed to take a log out of our own eye, especially when we, when we take that, that picture to the, the spiritual connection that Jesus is making here? We know we cannot remove our own sin, right? We, we can't do it. I mean, despite our best efforts, and, and this is what people have been trying to do all along. In fact, this is what every other world religion is centered around, is, is taking the speck out of your own eye, making yourself clean in some way. I mean, follow these, these, these five pillars, and, and you will be, be right with God, or maybe God will save you, or, or, or do these 12 steps, and yeah, you'll you get to the right place. So, so how do we deal with our own sin? What we do, the only thing that we do, and the only thing that Scripture has, has told us to do is, is, is to take those, those very logs, which are evident in our own lives, and to take them to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because there at the cross of Jesus Christ, that's where they are washed away. That's, that's where they're, they're cleansed and covered in the righteousness of Christ. That, that's the only way to remove those sins. 
That's what R.C. Sproul calls our legal or positional righteousness. A legal or positional righteousness where, where we take our sin, we come before the cross, we confess our sins, and we are declared righteous before God. We, we, we call that justification. As we come up on the Reformation in just a couple of weeks, it's, um, that's, the, that's the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. Justification by faith alone. And, and so that's where we are. We're, we're positionally and we are legally righteous before God. And, and so um, when we know that, and we're reminded of that every week when we come together and we have a confession of sin, we have a, a, a time of assurance, that, that we're reminded of all of those things. And, and what a relief and a freedom that brings to the believer. Everything has been made right with God through Jesus Christ. And, and now when you have that relief, when, when you have that clarity, you want others to know that same relief as well. This is what R.C. Sproul identifies. There's also another side of this. He identifies from Scripture experiential righteousness on the other side of it. So you have positional, positional legal righteousness, but then you also have this experiential righteousness. And, and this is the pursuit of God in everyday life. So yeah, we've been made righteous, our hearts have been changed, but, but we've been changed, our desires have been translated so that now... We pursue those, th that righteousness. We, we try to live every day for the glory of God. You know, when, when Scripture talks about someone being blameless, Job being blameless, or, or even David being a man after their own hearts, we, we know they're not talking about them being sinless. No, no these are men who, who pursue righteousness in their day-to-day -day life. They, they, they seek to experience what has been made real in them by Christ. And so they're called blameless. They're imperfect at best, but, but it's this pursuing of God's righteousness in our lives that happens because Jesus has changed our direction. No longer are we running away from God, but, but he, has, he has set us on a new course so that, that we are running to God. And, and so that's really what, what Jesus is talking about here when he's, when he's referring to removing our logs, He's not saying, yeah, you can legally make yourself righteous by pulling that log out of your eye. We can't do it. I mean, if you've ever wrestled with sin to a serious degree, you know very well that you can't do this. We, we, we fall. When we're honest with ourselves, we fall into sin on, on, on too regular of a basis to, to be able to deny that. So, so what Jesus is saying here when he says, remove the log from your own eyes, he's saying, follow the path that has been set before you. Be who you really are. You have been made righteous in Christ. You're declared righteous. Now live that in your lives. Come to the cross with your log. But, but carry on. And, and, and with a spirit... Live out that faith in your life. Resist sin and pursue God. Now, here in Matthew 7, verse 5, it's also a call here to, to self-examination. Some introspection, so to speak, right? Um, you know, usually when we're, when we're judgmental, um, we, we do it on the fly. 
I mean, there's so many things out there to judge, right? I mean, you're just doing it one thing after another. People are walking by you in the hall in school. You're judging, judging, judging. We, we see people driving in front of us on the road. We're judging, judging, judging. We're, we're hearing stories. We're seeing things on TV. We're, we're making judgments left and right. We're just doing it on the fly, and we're throwing it out there. We, we hardly even have time to think there's so much to judge. But Jesus is, is, is calling us to pause right here. He's saying, stop. I, I want you to stop. I, I want you to think. And to think about your own heart first. Let's start there. Now, I'm sure you have the same practice here that we have at Central Avenue Church. Usually the week before we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we do some form of preparation. Maybe we have a pointed sermon, or maybe we read one of the forms that are in the back of our hymn books, or all kinds of different ways of doing that, right? But you have some sort of a way to remind ourselves to examine our own hearts, to, to, to think about where we are. Now, now, what is it that we're examining? I mean, how, how, are we examining how we measure up to others? You know, like, are, are we de- deciding, is my Christian walk as good as Betty's or is it as good as John's? Oh, of course, it's silly, right? We, we're not doing that. That's not what we do. But, but we examine who we are before the Lord, and that's why it's, it's so vital to be reminded again of, of who we actually are. Less about what we do, but, but more of, of who we are and, and how who we are matches up with, with how we're living our lives, of course, right? But, but we examine ourselves before the Lord. He is the measure of our righteousness because he alone is the one who's perfect in righteousness, you look down the pew at one another, and yeah, there's some great folks here, right? But, but no one is perfect in righteousness on their own. No, we're, our only righteousness is Christ, and so that's where we look. But, but, but that has two effects on us. First of all, when we look upon the righteousness of God, it, it crushes us. It crushes us, right? I mean, it, it, when we can see it, and we still don't see this clearly because it's clouded by our own sin, but when we look into the face of God's holiness, our sin glowers in its blackness, right? It just, it just speaks in its blackness. It shows forth in its blackness. There's no denying that we don't measure up. It's sort of like Isaiah in chapter 6 of, of, his, of his prophecy. You know, there he is, this vision. He's caught up into the presence of the Lord. And, and, and the only reaction he has, I mean, you, you think, well, we're going to sing, we're going to rejoice, we're going to dance before the Lord. And he's, his reaction is to fall flat on his face. He, he can't get his face harder into the ground because he knows. And he, and he says, woe is me. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. When we see the holiness of God before us, that, that's what shines through, right? We can't deny it. We're completely humbled before God. But there's two parts to the self-examination. In the process, we're also lifted up. Because we, we, we are looking to who we are before the Lord. And when we look to Jesus, we see that beside, be, despite our sin, be, beside, despite those blatant logs that are in our lives, it's Christ who out of his great love for us came and sacrificed himself in our place so that on that cross, that, that, that through 
all of that, what, what he did there, somehow, mysteriously and truly, our sins have been cleansed. That's not just a, a theory. It's, it's not just an idea. This has actually happened. Your sins were cleansed on the cross of Jesus Christ. Way back then, already, it was done. And it, it, it was cleaned. It was, it was cleansed. The log was removed legally before God. And because it's all of God, that's why we call it grace, Right? We receive what we certainly do not deserve. Now, it's ironic, even this lifting up has this effect of humbling us. It has an effect of humbling us. You know, we, we realize that it's nothing that we can do. It's, it's only of God. And so we stand humbly because it puts us back into this right perspective, the right position that we are in God's presence by his grace, by his hand. Now, taking a look at the logs in our own eyes, as it says here, has that same effect with others. Of course, there's no way to, to get the log out of your own eye. You know, if you even think about that logically, how in the world could a log even be in your eye, right? But, but Jesus is using hyperbole here to, to get the point across. Like it's, it's that much. It's more than just a speck of sawdust. It's, it's, it's the whole log. But when I come to know how great my sin and misery are, maybe those words sound a little familiar. They're from our catechism. When we know how great our sin and misery are, that's when I'm humbled by both that sin and by God's grace. And, and then I'm humbled before God, but it also humbles us before one another. It humbles us before one another. Who is able to cast the first stone? So Jesus asked when he was there, standing before the adulterous woman that the, the scribes and the Pharisees had, had brought to him, who is able to cast the first stone? You know, when, when we see the log in our own eyes, we're, we're much less eager to grab those rocks and toss them at each other, aren't we? Um, it's because we know we deserve the same thing. When, when we're really honest with ourselves, when we really see who we are, we, we know that there is no adulterous woman or man or, or, or any other sinner that can stand up here that we can take the pot shots at from some position of righteousness. But did you also notice here, he doesn't just say examine the log in your own eye. He says, remove the log. Now, now why does he want us to remove the log? Well, he wants us to remove the log so that we can see clearly. Remember, that's one of the problems that we have. The, the, even the speck in our own eye clouds our vision. Imagine a log there. I mean, a log would just completely block it out all the way. But he wants us to remove that speck so that we can see, or that log so we can see clearly. You see, those who have never wrestled with their sin have little sympathy for those who, who struggle with it. Now, notice I didn't say those who have no sin. There is no such category, right? There, there's, there's no such person as a person who has no sin. 
but too many. And, and many of those who, who call themselves Christians don't struggle against sin. They don't struggle against sin. And, and that's not a good thing. Because when we don't struggle against sin, it, it means we have simply given into it. When we don't struggle against sin, it means we've just simply been, been swept up into it, and it's just who we are. In fact, we'll, we'll even identify ourselves by our sin at times and just say, that's just who I am. Nothing else we can do about it. And so if you haven't wrestled, you don't understand the struggle of someone who does. And it's easy to judge someone else's sin. But do we really know what's going on inside of the other person, right? The inner, the inner turmoil that that sin causes for this brother or sister. How much they desire to, to have it removed and, and yet they keep falling into the same pattern of sin over and over and over again. And, and good reasons and bad reasons they're falling into that pattern of sin over and over again. But, but if we haven't struggled with sin ourselves, we, we, we can't we can't understand. And it's usually those who come into the room blasting with both barrels right away are the ones that, that haven't dealt with their own sin, who haven't struggled with their own sin. Maybe they haven't even taken their own sin to the cross. They haven't taken that log to the place where it can be dealt with legally and positionally. But when you have wrestled with your own log of sin, you can sympathize with the the person that needs the help, right? The brother or sister who, who needs someone to walk alongside of them, who, who needs your help to deal with their speck. When we're there, we're gentler. Yeah, of course, you still address it, right? But we're more compassionate. We, we understand more. We, we can walk with each other. We're more patient. Don't those words seem to describe our, our Savior himself? You know, our Lord Jesus, yeah, he was, he was perfect. He was without sin. But, but that does not mean he, he didn't struggle with sin. I mean, he was tempted in all the ways that we have been tempted, but even to the nth degree. You know, typically when we face temptation, we give in at a much lower temperature than Jesus faced. I mean, think about this. Jesus was tempted by the devil himself. To the fullest extent, the devil was present before him. And yet, Jesus bore all the way to the highest heat and carried through. So if you think Jesus can't understand the temptations that we face, well, he's not able to sympathize with our weaknesses, you are wrong, because he can and he does. And so as we wrestle with our own sin, even as we, we expose it, maybe even for the very first time, for the very first time we've come to this point where we've exposed our sin, we can do so with a Savior who understands, who's ready with his grace for us. So judge yourself. Now the last point here is really even more perplexing, I think. It's, it's really a call to, to judge others. I mean, the, the command is simple, judge not. But, but right in the same passage, Jesus is also calling us to make judgments of one another. Now, it seems like a contradiction, but, but, but bear with me. Look at the end of verse 5 there. He says, it says, we are told to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, oftentimes that kind of gets swept away, but, 
but we're told, take the speck out of your brother's eye. Even with this command, judge not. So what this means is we're still called to disciple one another. And what it means to disciple one another is is to walk alongside of one another in pursuing righteousness. Now, yes, this is the job of your elders. This is the job of your pastor. But this is the job, the responsibility we all have with one another. Parents to children, even sometimes children to parents, but spouses with one another, fellow believers that, that we would walk with one another and disciple one another. And part of that is identifying sin and dealing with it. So when we hear these words, judge not, it it, it does not mean never make any judgments. That's not what it's saying there. But saying, let's let's do this in in the proper context. Andrew Fuller, who was a missionary and a pastor in England about 100 years ago, he said, if we judge not truth and error, good and evil, we cannot embrace the one and avoid the other. So if we're, if we're not making any judgments, we, there's no way we can embrace what's good and, and deny what's not good. Neither can we discharge the duties of our station in this world or in the church without forming some judgments of those about us. So, so, so even in this context of, of judge not, we're commanded to judge. Take the speck out of your brother's eye. We, we hold one another accountable before the Lord in our walk with Christ. We, we, we walk with each other, away from sin, yes, and, and maybe even in some very sticky and difficult spots, but, but that's what we're called to when we're called to take the speck out of our brother's eye, is to be there even in the muck and the mire. But there's a big difference between the judgment of, of judge not here and, and the judgments that God does call us to make, Right? One of those comes from right in here. This command, judge not. I mean, what, what he's speaking to is, is what the judgments that come from right out of here. But when he calls us to walk with one another, that's not something that comes from in here. That, that's something that comes from here. From the very word of God. Because it's his judgments that we want. So when we're thinking about this, is it the judgment that I'm making or is it the judgment of the Almighty God and His holy, infallible Word, right? And I'm sure your elders wrestle with this. I know ours do at Central Avenue. I mean, elders are given a particular weight, really, in this area of judgment. Matthew 18. It hands over the keys of the kingdom to the elders, right? They, they have a responsibility, along with your pastor, to, to shepherd this flock, and, and in that they have to make judgments. It's part of their job. Now, because each pastor, each elder deals with the same things that we have been talking about all along here, there's no one elder that makes the final call, no one pastor that makes the final call, not at all. I mean, God guards the flock by having this company of elders, and and, and you've got some great elders, you've got a great pastor here. And, and, And I know knowing your pastor and knowing some of these elders too, that they're not making these judgments offhand. They wrestle. They they deliberate together in prayer, in Scripture. I love in the council room seeing the the sheet for your pastor's prayer time on Tuesdays. They gather and they pray for you. 
They're overseeing this flock, but, but they're called to make those judgments, but, but not from inside themselves. Each elder has their own opinion, absolutely. But the only opinion that really matters is, is, is God's and God's alone. That, that's why to make, make faithful judgments, we have to be students of God's word. Now, especially the elders and the pastors, of course. They're diligently studying God's word, but we all have to be studying his word so, so we know what does God say because his judgments are right. His judgments alone are just. So we speak where he speaks and we're silent where he is silent. Well, what do we know when we know God's word? Well, we know the God who created all things. We know the God who created us in his very image. We know the God who upholds and rules his creation by his eternal counsel and his, in his providence. That's the God that's revealed here. We know the God who has redeemed us through the sacrifice of his son. And, and so we know the God that loves us. He loves us. And he also loves that brother or sister who is, who is really wrestling with a speck that they found in his or her own eye. No, God forgives specks, and he also forgives logs, right? Because the blood of Jesus covers it all. So friends, here the call to us is to confess our sins, right? When we're, when we're, we're posed with this, this command, judge not, the, the call is for us to confess our sins and repent before him. Because our Father's posture toward you is one of grace, is one of forgiveness, and one of restoration. And that's our posture toward one another, isn't it? If we have known that forgiveness, if we have known that redemption, if we have known that restoration, how can we not want others to have that same thing? How could we judge to throw them to the side? We judge to restore. Now, friends, when we tread on this turf, we, we really are treading on holy ground. Because it says in Romans 8, who is to condemn? Who is to condemn? Who is the one to make the final judgment? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Christ is the one who, who by his death and his resurrection, has earned the right to judge, and he is the perfect judge. None of us can stand in his position at all, not at all. But as God's spirit is at work within us, as we have known God's judgment has been passed over in us and put on Christ, we can point to the one, point everyone, those to the one that, in whom there is no condemnation. So, so when, we, when we see the specks in one another, uh, another's eyes, that's where we bring them, Right? to the cross, and, and we walk them there, to the cross, so that they can know the one in whom there is therefore now no condemnation. Now we know that in, as we hear those words in Scripture, that there is therefore now no condemnation, it says, for those who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the freedom. There, there is tremendous liberty and freedom because we have been unshackled 
We are no longer slaves to death or slaves to sin in Christ Jesus. But it's for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? And there's nothing holding you away. In fact, you're being called right now to Christ. To come to him who has borne the, the very judgment of sin so that you can be free and be completely forgiven. And that's why in him there's therefore no shame anymore. Our logs have been removed. And we have the message for everyone else, for the world. A world that is, is so riddled with shame and guilt and, and discouragement. And, and they're wondering which way to go. And yet we have the message where they can be free. Where they can be seen. Where they can see and know the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful to you that you have blessed us with this gift of the gospel. Oh Lord, that you have taken the logs which have clouded our view, which have tainted every bit of who we are. And Lord, you've removed them fully and completely at the cross of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, now we stand here with no condemnation. Oh Lord, help us to take that to each other to those that we are sitting the closest to even in this moment maybe, to this, the fellow congregants here, but Lord, to a world around us that, that needs to know Jesus as well. And so, Father, we judge not because you are the Lord, are the righteous judge. And so, Father, help us as we walk with one another to your name's glory, to your name's honor. In Jesus' name, amen.